0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: This is the Unplayable Podcast. On today's episode, we crossed to Lisa Steleka in the UK to preview Australia's Women's World Cup semi-final. Chat to the GOAT Nathan Lyon about his county stint and new modelling career. And recap South Africa's huge win over England in the second test at Trent Bridge. But we start with Lisa Steleka over there in Bristol. Lisa, Australia through to the World Cup semi-final. They're going to take on India on Thursday night. Australia beat them during the group stage matches but India are coming in hot after smashing New Zealand. So uh, first up, who has the momentum?
2: Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because obviously New Zealand ha- um, and the India clash was a do or die and, and uh, Matali Raj stepped up as did a few other of her her partners in crime out in the middle. And uh, I think they certainly had the momentum, they have the belief, uh, but the Australians are strong and they, they have been strong and they've shown that already throughout this tournament. Um, regardless of uh, Meg Lanning being rested, they don't rely solely on just her to score runs. Others are scoring runs as well. So I think it's actually going to be a, an even contest.
1: Australia crushed India by eight wickets in the group stage. Lisa, um, what do you reckon the Aussies took away from that game? And what do you think India learned from that game?
2: Well, I think the Australians would have would have taken a fair bit away in the sense of from from a batting perspective. They they got a good understanding of their bowlers. They accounted for them pretty convincingly. Um, And and I think moving forward, they'll know who to target and and where they can take them down the ground. Uh, But I think also the Australians are, are... aware of the fact that India didn't play their best game against the Australians, uh, you know, Poonam routes, even though she scored a hundred and Matali Raj, I think 69 had a 157 run partnership, but they just ate up too many balls. And, and that that was the game that Matali Raj uh, went past Charlotte Edwards um, to be the leading uh, run scorer in ODI cricket. So you could imagine that there was a, a certain amount of pressure on her Uh, I think she relies solely on players around her to to play with that freedom. Uh, We saw Veda Krishnamurti uh, against New Zealand um, blast the ball away and and their partnership was really the difference. Um, So if Smithy Mandana, um, Harmanpreet Kaur, Dipti Sharma, Veda if they get going around Mitali Raj, uh, I think India are going to be an absolute handful for the Australians.
1: You touched on Meg Lanning missing uh, a couple of games. Lisa, what are you hearing about her chances of playing in the second semi-final against India? As she, she missed the last game against South Africa. If she doesn't play, how big a loss will that be for Australia? Can they win without her?
2: Well, firstly, I, I would imagine that she's going to play uh, the semi-finals. Uh, in her, her mind, two more games to go. Um, no surprise that she was rested against South Africa. I think they're taking all the precautionary measures that they can. Um, if she wasn't to play, sure, it would be a big loss, but I think this side has already shown that they can play some decent cricket without her. Yes, she's, you know, despite, um, I think, two innings short of everyone else, she's, I think, within the top five or six run scorers of the tournament. So she has got that massive impact with the bat. Um, but the Australians can certainly look to others within the team to do that. Uh, but... Like I said, I think she'll play. There, there's, no, there's no way she would miss this opportunity and even if she's 50% um, fit, she'll play.
1: What about long-term, Lisa? How much damage is this shoulder injury causing? Is she in any danger of missing the ashes that are later on this year?
2: Well, they're pretty tight-lipped about all of that. Um, but just looking at, at um, how heavily strapped it is Uh, it's starting to be noticeable with the shots that she's playing. She's taking her right hand off the bat to complete the shot or, you know, she's kind of limiting what she's doing um, because of it. So I would expect that uh, surgery is probably um, going to happen. When that's going to happen, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sure that the ashes are in jeopardy, um, just given the fact that we've seen... um, Well, I've seen a dramatic change in her this tournament compared to uh, the Australian summer, where she seemed to be managing and coping quite well. uh, But here she seems really uh, hindered by the shoulder. So I guess an announcement will be made um, by the team, probably after the World Cup, of what her immediate future is. But uh, I still think the Australians whether she's there or or she's not there, they're, they're, they're still in a good position um, regarding the Ashes.
1: Yeah, well, one of the real pillars of the Australian batting order in the World Cup has been Elise Perry. She's uh, registered another streak of five consecutive half centuries. Uh, she's the only person, man or woman, to do that in one day cricket three times. It's quite incredible. She's now the number three batter in the world. Hasn't got 100 yet, Lisa. Can we see a 100 out of her in the next one, maybe two games? um She's just an absolute batting phenomenon at the moment. She's never been in better form.
2: Yeah, she's uh, she's certainly um, the spine of the Australian batting innings. Uh, I think uh, the fact that she's so reliable... Um, players know what she's going to do when she gets out there. That means they can play with some freedom and confidence that they've got her at the crease at all times. Um, Speaking to her after the last game when we did the player of the match interview, she she was disappointed that she didn't go on with it and, and, and probably that's been... If you were to criticise her about anything with her batting, and it would be that that she hasn't yet got that hundred. It's not that far away f- um, from her. You 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 sense that it's it's very close, and uh, it would be extremely special for her and for the team if she was able to do it in the next one, and hopefully uh, one or two games that the Australians have left to play.
1: Okay, the Australian eleven. Lisa, can we expect any changes? They seem to be sticking pretty solid with the eleven throughout the tournament after a couple of changes in the early rounds. That uh, Be wicket. What can we expect out of that? Um, Will that influence the Australian eleven?
2: Well, it doesn't seem it doesn't it doesn't seem to be affecting the Australian eleven, regardless of what the wicket is. There there were times there that I thought "Mm, the pitch had been under the covers the previous day and overcast conditions. They might pick a third seamer. They didn't. They've gone with their their pace attack of. Perry and Shorten, and, and then it, it's up for grabs from a spinning point of view you would expect Ashley Gardner to keep her spot, she's bowled really well, um, she hasn't necessarily taken a lot of wickets but she's been very economical and she's created a lot of chances uh, the only change I could potentially see and, and this is this is me thinking left field a little bit is Rachel Haynes showed that she's capable with the ball, um, you know she's, she's great in the field uh, Elise Villani hasn't necessarily um, produced the same exciting start to the World Cup as she has. Uh, so, and they, they've been trying to use her from a bowling perspe- perspective. She hasn't, um, in the last few games, really. Le- um, the ball hasn't been coming out well. So, that if if anything, they may look to do that, and that gives them another option of of a bowler who's who's been used a little bit more frequently in the domestic circuit. So. I think that would be the only change that they may be considering.
1: Key players to look out for. will start with the Aussies. Let's just take it for granted that Perry and Lanning are two absolute superstars you have to watch. But outside of those two, who's a player we should keep an eye on in the semi-final?
2: Yeah, I think, I think we haven't seen a lot of our middle order. Um, we've seen little sparks here and there. But I think they're going to be the key um, to the Australians winning the semi-final and potentially the final. I think... Um, our top order have set it. The, the top order has set it up really well, um, and I think if the middle order and the lower order kind of fire, and that's something that the Australian side has been speaking about for for a long time in the build up to the World Cup, and then also here that they they're still searching for their perfect game as well. So I think the the middle order of Blackwell, Healy. Um, and Gardner will certainly, uh, it'll be enjoyable if they get in and we'll see the firepower that they, they possess. Uh, and then I think, again, the spinners will, will play a crucial role um, within the success of the side. But don't discount Megan Shortchin, you know, leading wicket taker in 2013. She's gone about her business again really quietly, picking up wickets regularly, um, 3 for 40 against New Zealand, uh, a 2 for 52 against uh India so she's she's there and thereabouts and she goes about her business quietly so you've got to watch out for the quiet ones
1: absolutely and for India is Matali Raj the number one target for the Aussies
2: well she certainly uh, when you start to look at opposition you you look at key members and you want to minimize their damage and obviously she's the captain they rely so heavily on her the leading run scorer in, in women's ODI cricket but I feel that the Australians will look at her and go, well, she's not necessarily going to damage us. She might go out and run a ball, uh, but the players that could potentially damage us are, are shmiti Mandana, and she's already done that um, against the Australians uh, when they came out last year in February, scored 100 against them. Uh, Harman Preet we've seen what she can do in the WBBL. Like I said, Veda murthy against New Zealand. Um, Gave them the firepower and got them to a, a, a really defendable total, um, and then Poonam Raut. She scored a hundred against the Australians last time, 106. So if those players fire really well, I think um, I think they'll they'll post a decent score. And and as for bowling, Jhulan Goswami, um, she hasn't necessarily picked up a lot of wickets. Uh, again, she'll be one the Australians will want to minimise, but their spinners, Ekta Bish. Um, Punam Yadav, they've been very effective for them.
1: Alright, career on the line here Lisa, who wins and why?
2: <laughs> I think the Australians will win, I think they've just got uh, the depth in um, in all aspects, I think their fielding is far better than the Indians um, we've seen that over the course of the World Cup uh, and they've been there, done that they're used to playing these type of crucial matches and getting through it uh, whereas the Indians uh, the last time they were really uh, in and around the World Cup was 2005 when they made the final, and only two players who are in this squad now were there, and that was uh, Mitali Raj and Julian Goswami. So I think the Australians will overpower them, but they better beware because the Indians have got uh, their backs up.
1: And just one uh, quick word on the first semi final it's going to be England, the favourites against South Africa. Do we see the hosts running away with this one? And should Australia get through? Who would they rather play? I know they've just beaten South Africa. They lost to England in the group stage. Would they rather get a bit of revenge against their Ashes rivals?
2: Yeah, I think, um, I think it'll be a good semi. I, I had a look at the wicket. I was obviously covering Australia versus South Africa in Taunton and uh, England played the West Indies in Bristol and the wicket turned a lot. So I think that actually suits the South Africans a little bit more. They've got, you know, some really exciting leg spinners. Sune Luce picked up for against the Australians. Dane Vanierkirk has picked up 3 forces. Um So spin will play a heavy role. Uh, South Africa have beaten England before. They've uh, beaten them in one clash uh, in July 2015 uh so they've they've had that experience where they necessarily haven't had that with the australians so i think um the south africans when they when they lost against australia and then realized who they were playing in the semi-final i think they were really happy with england because i feel that they think they can beat them um and i think the, you know they've been an an up-and-coming side but what I like about the English team at the moment is their middle order and um, they're just taking no prisoners in the sense that Nat Siver, she's blasting the ball away. Tammy Brown is doing exactly the same. And if Sarah Taylor and Heather Knight can do what they usually do, this England attack is is, is pretty fierce, not only from a bowling pers- uh, batting perspective, but also their bowlers have been doing the job as well. So, um yeah, it'll be. So I hope it's going to be. I hope both semis are going to be a really tight clash, um, where the skill set of the players is shown on the world stage. Because um, it, it, nothing quite beats these type of semi-finals. These crucial matches, do or die. Regardless of how you've performed during the tournament, it all comes down to this one game. And are you good enough to win on the day? So uh, both semis will be nice and tight and close.
1: And we've spoken about it before, Lisa the finalists get to play at lords and we spoke to peter siddle on the last episode and he confirmed what everybody already knows is that lords has the best catering in world cricket I bet you can't <laughs> wait to get there
3: yes
2: they do i can tell you that for a fact <laughs> you kind of um kind of walk up, it's uh, up the top of um, the old pavilion and you go up so many different stairs and you you wonder where you're going, you get lost and then you come into this really small room and there's staff there and there's a, the board and you have three options for your meals you actually order what you want from starters to main and there's desserts three options of desserts as well um, thankfully the last time I was there um, the game was rained out at halftime, so I uh, got to really sample the <laughs> the Lord's cuisine so uh, yeah the players are in for a treat but I don't think come finals time uh, many of them will be eating because they'll be too nervous so maybe the maybe the commentary staff needs to go in there and help out
1: I reckon you've got to at least sample everything even if it's just a little bit you've got to go in there and try everything and report back because uh, the fans, of this, the fans <laughs> of this podcast are deeply interested about that type of stuff Lisa thank you so much for your time good luck in the two semi finals. go Australia and hopefully we'll catch up with you again soon Nathan Lyon, thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, how have you been? You're in New South Wales pre-season right now. What is a pre-season like for a cricketer?
4: Uh, thanks for having me, mate. Uh, first pre-season uh, of my career, actually. Mm. So um, yeah, I've been very lucky and very fortunate enough to skip the pre-seasons, but uh, I've been a part of it for a couple of weeks now. It's uh, been pretty painful here and there, but it's been pretty enjoyable as well. So you've been in the gym throwing a bit of ten around, mate, getting a bit stronger? Yeah, I actually might be able to wear the singlet this summer, so um, hopefully Mitch Stark will uh, will give me permission to wear the singlet, but uh, who knows.
1: So you spent a bit of time in England playing for Worcester, how did that deal come about and what was your time over there like?
4: Uh, yeah, so I spent uh, four weeks over at Worcester playing with the, the boys over there, um, simply come about, I was sitting at home and... Big John Hastings uh, sent me a text message saying, uh, are you interested in playing some county cricket while I'm part of the Champions Trophy? Um, so I, I wrote back, yes, yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, need need a little bit more information, but uh, definitely keen. So uh, fortunate enough to be able to get a deal over there with the, with the pairs, and uh, I was able to play four county ship games and, and one one-day game, which is a, a, a great experience, I guess.
1: And how is it different from Shield Cricket, County Cricket, uh, there's a lot of more teams and divisions. How does it compare to Sheffield Shield?
4: I, I still believe Sheffield Shield cricket's probably a, a lot stronger than than the county cricket. That's probably pure the fact that uh, you, you've got your best players playing playing state cricket uh, here in Australia, where um, with a lot more teams, you get a lot more different variety of players playing and getting a, getting the opportunity to play, which is also a positive thing for uh, England cricket. But uh, I believe the Australian setup is uh, is is The best in the world. Um, You're playing on world-class venues, more more likely than not. So, uh, but over. But but I say no. I really enjoyed my time over in England. Uh, The wickets were quite slow. uh, Obviously, it's the start of the season, so it wasn't much spin there. But uh, it was a good opportunity to go over and learn from a from a new coach under Steve Steve Rhodes. Um, So yeah, I really enjoyed my experience.
1: A lot's been made about the Duke's ball and how it swings and seems a bit more. But for a spinner. What's the comparison between that and a Kookaburra ball?
4: Yeah, pretty similar, really. I think every ball from a spinner is pretty similar. If you can grip it and and try and spin it as hard as you can, then then you are winning the battle. Um, the Duke's ball seems to uh, be a tad tad slippery, I guess, with the, with the new rock. But uh, as soon as that lacquer wears off, it's uh, it's a pretty nice ball to bowl with.
1: Over there, the away captain can elect to bowl first. Sort of a new thing in the past couple of seasons. What are your thoughts about that? Is that something you'd like to see introduced in Shield cricket? Uh,
4: yeah, that was my first uh, experience with it, and to be fair, I, I didn't didn't mind it. Um, I suppose rock, rocking up to the ground, you kind of knew uh, by looking at the wicket what you're doing. So, uh, which is a uh, which can be a, a positive thing. It can take a lot of nerves out of the game, I guess. But uh, it also um, Brings a game to a pretty uh, a fair starting point um, where you can play at different venues around the world where um, the pitches can be friendly for either batting or bowling first, and and guys and it can be pretty well toss dependent. So uh, I don't I don't mind the um, no toss rule, but uh, yeah, I think I need to experience it a couple more times before it comes into a international standard.
1: You played the four games over there uh, in one one day, uh, and you played in Division Two. There's been a bit of talk about that maybe coming into Test match cricket about having two divisions now that Afghanistan and Ireland have become ICC full member nations. Uh, I don't know how it's going to work. There might be eight teams and four or six and six split with promotion and relegation. Is that something you'd you'd be a part of? Get on board with that?
4: To be honest, to be honest with you, that's the first I've heard about it. So um, it's it's got me from a little uh, surprise, I guess, but. Uh, um, I'm all for Test cricket staying as, as it is. I know Afghanistan and Ireland jumped on board now, which is fantastic, and I think they they deserve the right to play the, against the best teams in the, in, in the world. Um, so it's it's just uh, providing new challenges challenges for uh, everyone who plays uh, international test match cricket. So uh, it's uh, exciting times, but um, yeah, hopefully we can just stay up top of it and we won't have to worry about Div too. Uh, what about
1: uh, your biggest learnings over there? You only had those the four weeks and the four matches, but is there anything you took away from there?
4: Uh, yeah, I've taken a few things, especially went over there with an open mind, especially li- uh, listen, listening to the English and the way they uh, actually went about the game and how they think about the game as well. So... Um, learning learning off those guys um, being um, willing to listen and uh, learn from them I guess uh, so there was uh, some really good cricket discussions you know, in and around the change rooms um, yeah, the uh, Worcester Se coach has played I think about nine Test matches for England so it was uh, good hearing some good old stories against uh, the old ashes rivals especially uh, with the ashes coming up this summer so yeah it was good fun he played against Sussex one of those four games
1: and big Vernon Flander, the South African quick, was uh, was one of your opponents and he's playing against England now in the Test match series over there. Complete turnaround in the second test from the first test at Laws. Can you sort of ex- explain what happened there? Is, is it FAF just coming back in? Uh, is it different conditions? been a, such a role reversal for the, the two sides.
4: Uh, I think it's a bit of both. I think uh, with FAF coming back in, you get that a uh, lot more probably calm head and uh in around the team uh and obviously he's a, one of the world-class batters as well so i think having faff come back into your lineup gives you a lot more support in that middle order how about Hashem amla he's just like a bottle of wine isn't getting better with age uh, you've bowled a fair bit to him i mean how good is he uh, he's one of the best batters in the world he's definitely personally he's one of the hardest guys to bowl to um it, it's been always been a privilege to play against him that's for sure but uh he's always one guy you look at and goes i I really really would like that wicket so uh he's uh, definitely uh a world-class batter and he's definitely uh piling on the runs at the moment so um Hopefully he can keep doing that against the English and come February, I think he hopefully runs out of a bit of luck and end some less runs. What about him makes it just so difficult to bowl to? He's just so composed, uh, nothing gets to him, um, there's, He's just he knows his game inside out, he knows where the shots he wants to play and the, and the timing of them. so uh, he's just a, a world class batter and the best probably going around, I reckon. Is he right up there
1: with the toughest you've bowled to? Uh,
4: yeah, yeah, he's definitely up there. He'd be definitely up there in top five, I reckon. So, um, yeah, he, I've got high high praise for Hashem.
1: Yeah, Quinton de Kock have moved him up the order to number four. He's been so successful at number seven, a bit like Adam Gilchrist back in the day, not quite there just yet. But do you think that's the spot for him in the middle order or would you prefer to see him down the order and just unleashing when the team's in a good spot?
4: Yeah, I think it says a lot about uh, the style of cricket they want to play they want to score some run, uh, quick runs um he, he's another world class batter he's uh, getting getting better and better after each test match so um Quentin's, uh he's one talented guy and especially we saw him in the summer here last summer how how destructive he can actually be so batting four um Behind Hashman in front of Fafs, not that bad, I don't think. Um, gives him an opportunity to go out there and score some big runs. He's had uh, a reasonable test match, his test match, so um, it's yeah, it's going to be interesting to see where he goes.
1: Right, the big thing this summer is the Ashes. Gaz Australia has played England, seems like a lot, in the last four years. Uh, the Ashes series and plenty of one days. Are you pumped up already? <laughs>
4: uh, yeah, yeah. It's hard, it's hard not to uh, think about it. Everywhere you go, someone's asking you about the Ashes or... Or well, you hear talk about it. It's um, it's a series that you always want to play in. Um, as a kid growing up, you want to play in the Ashes series, and we've been lucky enough to play in three now. Uh, lost two, one one. So I hope we're looking to uh, even that back up. And, um, but here at home, it's uh, it's unbelievable. The last time when they were out here, we won five nil. But it's just uh, the aura around the the whole of Australia. Anywhere you went, you people were, would. Had, supporting you back and they'll cheering for you, especially with uh, big Jono running in. Um, but uh, So that's up with my favourite series I've ever played in. But, uh, yeah, the Ashes is phenomenal. Yeah,
1: every sporting team wants to win every game they play. But when you come to an Ashes series, especially the one coming up in this summer, do you look at it and go, righto, 5-0? We're going we're going for 5-0?
4: Uh, you have to approach it that way. Um, but then the you've got different conditions. You've got weather that comes into but uh, you just need to go out there and play positive. Um, but really, we need to look at the first ball, the first hour of the first session of the test match, day one in Brizzy. Um, that sets up our, our summer. That, that first day sets up our summer. So uh, you get plenty of opportunities. There's going to be a roller coaster ride. Uh, there's going to be some ups and some downs, but we've got to just make sure that we've got the momentum we can win the big moments in the test matches, I'll identify them ASAP, and then, then uh, put the right foot forward. Um, but one thing we've got to do this summer is make sure we're enjoying our cricket. Uh, when we enjoy our cricket as an Australian cricket team, we we tend to play a positive and fun brand of cricket.
1: You're going to be the most capped player in the team. You are now, but in this in the 2013 series, there are a couple of people ahead of you. Now at 67 caps, 69 after Bangladesh, you're going to be the most capped player. I mean, it's, what's it like coming into as, as being the, the veteran, the old hand now? And Get getting old. You're going to be 30, Get to be 30 at that point.
4: Getting 30, um, but uh, yeah, no. It's uh, if someone said to me that you'd play the most Test matches uh, or be the most captain in some Test side for Australia, it would, a couple of years ago, I would have said you, you're kidding yourself. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been a fun ride so far. But uh, there's a couple of personal goals that I want to achieve, um, but also some big team goals I want to be a part of. So. Uh, it's a massive summer and hopefully uh, the senior guys can get together and, and lead from the front and the younger guys who come in the squad can um, really step up and uh, play some positive brand of cricket for Australia. Those girls, what do you what are you thinking? Two you're on two forty seven wickets at the yeah. moment? you need two forty eight then two forty nine and just slowly keep counting. So <laughs> we'll just uh, we'll just take it and take it take it as they come. But uh,
1: But is it is it a matches thing? Is it a, a series you want to get to? Is it a number of wickets?
4: No, it's not none of that. Uh, it's more about for me. It's more about uh, the series that you're able to win for a cricket Australia and be a part of, and, and the role that you can play in that. Um, whether that's on the field and off the field, um, I'm a big one for team success. And if the team's going alright, each each and every person will, uh in that scene, um, each and every person in that side will have success. So um, it's about supporting your mates, but also celebrating your your mates' success as well. Um, the wheel always turns in the game of cricket, so mother cricket will never get you too far ahead, but uh, then hopefully she'll pick you up when the wheel turns.
1: Mother cricket, you sound like Justin Langer. Uh, <laughs> with England playing a lot of cricket in their summer, uh, and you're watching them from back here in Australia, is there stuff you're still picking up? Because you've played them so much, are there still things you're you're seeing over there that you you haven't noticed before, that you're learning new things? There's a few new faces in that team, but there are a few veterans as well.
4: Uh, Yeah, there's a few veterans uh, going around, uh, obviously with the new captain. Um, But uh, yeah, as a bowler, I'm sitting there at home watching this test match, especially when we play South Africa. and uh, Next year, early next year, I'm looking at uh, each and every one of them, how, how... the quicks are trying to get them out and how the spinners are trying to get them out, uh, what shots they're playing well, what shots that they aren't playing well. So there's always something that I'm looking at. Um, but, um, yeah, you, you're trying to get a head start on, on the series, but uh, saying that, there's still a little while to go yet. Are you liking all these left-handers in the England team? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're always helpful. So hopefully they stay in there until the first <laughs> test match. Gaz, uh, now you've done a little bit of modelling
1: in your time since we last spoke to you mate um, tell us about this you're the main figure of this portrait by a guy named todd simpson how did that all happen
4: uh, yeah so todd todd simpson's an incredible artist from down in melbourne and uh, he approached my management group and asked me would uh I'll be willing to be painted for the the Archibald Prize in, uh, I think it's getting selected in August or September or sometime. And so my manager put it to me and I I said yes. So I went down to Melbourne a couple of times for a couple of sittings and had about 500 photos taken in about an hour, I reckon. So it was a (laughs) little bit interesting, but um, had different lights, different shades. And um, it's been absolutely incredible. Um, The the outcome of the portrait that uh, Todd's painted, it, it blows me away. Um, the standard of it, it looks like a digital printout if you ask me, but it's yeah. a full-on painting, which is an absolute credit to Todd, so pretty incredible. Yeah,
1: it's amazing. Um, is this something you can
4: see yourself doing more and more? Are put your hand up? Uh, we're not going to say uh, live might,
1: nude modelling or anything, but might, maybe uh, just more might of
4: that. over to New York on the catwalk one day, but you never, <laughs> you never know. So.
1: Brilliant. Okay, guys, we're going to finish with, uh, I'm going to bowl you on over questions. We did this with Peter Siddle last episode. you ready to take this on?
4: <laughs> Give it a go. All
1: right. First one, tell us your favourite dismissal, test dismissal.
4: It's hard to go past. Um, bowling, Sachin, Tendulkar and Chennai through the gate. If you had
1: to pick one batsman to bat out a day and save a test match, who would it be and why? Uh,
4: I've seen Faf du Plessy do it, so um, I would have to say Faf. <laughs> okay. Uh, the best fielder you've played with or against and why? Uh, Davey Warner and Steve Smith. Yep. And uh, Ricky Ponting comes in that class as well. Is there one moment that
1: sticks out for you? for any of those guys?
4: Um, i throw Michael Clark in as well. Each, each and every one of those guys have, talk, uh, have caught a couple of absolute hangers. So uh, those guys are probably the best fielders I've seen.
1: How about the worst sledger you've come across? It could be a teammate, it could be an opponent.
4: <laughs> Mitch Stark gets fired up and he, he um, throws the old one out, which uh, I get a good laugh out, but uh, the batter doesn't really get a good laugh out of it. But uh, he's probably the worst one.
1: How about the smartest fast bowler you've played with? Because they're not renowned for their uh, intelligence. They could be quicks. Oh. You'll be careful here. <laughs> it's
4: definitely not Mitchell Johnson. <laughs> the smartest, probably it's probably going to have to be Josh Hazelwood. I'm going to run with Josh. Definitely not Starkey. Definitely not Paddo. Yeah, probably out of Jackson Bird and uh, Josh Hazelwood.
1: Uh, and finally, we're going to look ahead a little bit here. Who will be your first wicket in the Ashes this summer? I don't care. Any of them. <laughs> it's got to be a top-water left-hander, surely.
4: Any of them. Who knows? Who kn- who knows who TB will pick?
1: Good point. All right, guys, thanks, mate. What's what's plans in the near future? Are you hang up to Darwin soon?
4: Uh, yeah continue training here up to Brizzy a couple of times a week uh, to train up there, but then up up to uh, Brizzy, uh, up to Darwin for um, uh, preseason camp and a pre-tour to Bangladesh camp. so uh, it uh, should be good fun, be hard work but uh, should be enjoyable.
1: Good stuff mate, appreciate you coming on. Thanks mate. <laughs> We're going to finish with some top-order news, and we welcome back former Chief News Cricket writer, Malcolm Conway. You've had a couple of weeks off.
3: You look refreshed. Oh, thank you, mate. Delighted to be back, and uh, a lot to talk about.
1: We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to start with the ongoing pay dispute. Now, both parties, the Australian Cricketers Association and Cricket Australia met last week. they meeting again this week. Both CEOs are now heavily involved. It. Apparently, good progress has been made, Mal, and hopefully not long to go.
3: Yeah, very encouraging. Um, apparently there was uh, good progress last week and uh, the meeting's are starting again on Wednesday. So um, we're looking forward to that continuing and hopefully this will all be sorted out and all we'll be talking about s- soon as the cricket.
1: Well, let's go on to the cricket. And South Africa, they rebounded against England at Tramp Bridge. Uh, a stunning 340 run win to level the series at one all. England was set an impossible 474 to win, and they were bowled it for just 133. They lost their 20 wickets in the match in 96.1 overs. I put that in uh, uh, perspective. South Africa's first innings was 96.2 overs. This is the third time in the past 30 years that England haven't faced 100 overs in a test match at home. They lost 5 for 11 in the second innings, and then they lost 4 for 6 in the first Mal. What do we make of England? They were the best team in the world a week ago. Now they're right down the bottom.
3: Well, yeah, remarkable, isn't it? I mean, there's, I think there's a number of factors involved in that. Uh, all, more, all the more remarkable given that uh, Rabada, who's an outstanding fast bowler, was banned and the South Africans picked yeah. a couple of guys who uh, we didn't know a lot about and uh, certainly did the business. And uh, certainly uh, England's batting, if you looked at that, were exposed. They, all, they took the game on and I think they took the game on with a, a devil-may-care attitude uh, that actually got them into trouble uh, and uh, they've uh, been shown as uh, not the, f- the force that they might have thought they were after the first test.
1: Well, let's stick with the hosts Uh They've copped a bit of criticism from former captains Michael Vaughan and Nasser saying about that approach, how they haven't applied themselves and adapted, not only to the conditions but the situations. Uh, Their one day team is known for just going hell for leather and attacking from all positions. But in Test match cricket, you just can't do that, can you?
3: Well, no, you can't. And uh, there's plenty of players in the past have said, oh, I'm going to play the game my way and haven't lasted or I've had to re... Uh, draw their plans and, and play a different way. I think Steve Waugh was a classic of, uh, yep. with that. When he started off, he was a real throw-the-bat-at-the-ball sort of a player, and he looked a million dollars, but uh, never made any big scores. And when he got dropped, he came back and completely rebuilt his game. And it uh, uh, wasn't as flashy, but was uh, far more effective. And sometimes you've got to play like that as a unit, uh, particularly with a, a side that's got some disciplined bowlers.
1: Probably starts with their batting, is not it, Mel? Um, and the two real selection calls, big selection calls heading into this test match was the opener. Uh, Keaton Jennings got their spot to the partner Alistair Cook. He was the incumbent but there was a lot of other contenders there and then Look like Joe Root's pick to pick Gary Balance in the middle order. He's batting at number three. Jennings has just made 44 runs in the first two tests. Balance, 85. How long does Trevor Bayliss give these guys?
3: Well, I'm surprised to see Balance back. I thought that uh, when he played test cricket previously, he was exposed. He's got a, a technique that I don't think is built for test cricket. He goes a long way back. So even when he does play forward, he usually only gets about as far as the front crease. So he's always going to be vulnerable to leg before wicket. But he's also stranded. He goes back so far and he moves so early that he gets stranded. So he really can't move uh, to adapt to the bowling, so you could easily nick him off as well. So I'm surprised that he's in the team, and uh, I guess from an Australian point of view, you hope that he lasts and he ends up in Australia, because I think the wickets with the extra bounce, he would have real problems getting behind the ball.
1: Now, the reports are that if balance does go, he's, got a, he's actually having a scan on his finger, Mel. Um, he copped an, a nasty blow, so he might be ruled out anyway. Tom Wesley from Essex is tipped to replace balance if he's out, and Mark Stoneman, who was the other opening contender, might come in for Jennings. It's probably a real worry, as you said, for the Ashes for England because they want to get this top order set before they head to Australia. And at the moment, there's still a lot of question marks.
3: I agree. I think that the, those two guys have uh, got some serious question marks over them. I think that Joe Root should be batting at three. I mean, he's clearly the class player in that side. I can see what they're trying to do in the same way that Michael Clark used to bat in the middle order for Australia to try and stiffen it up and give him some uh, balance. But I tend to think that your, your best player... Uh, really should in these circumstances bat at three Uh, that might make things a little bit easier but I'm also a little bit concerned as well as he's played recently at times that Johnny Bairstow at five is the wicketkeeper I'm just not sure that uh, he can play that dual role as a number five batsman and a wicketkeeper in test cricket for the long haul
1: And it seems that their bowling attack is a little bit scoo as well. Michael Vaughan has said that he thinks that uh, they're a spin bowler too heavy or a fast bowler too heavy. If they play two spinners, they don't need the four seamers. If they play uh, one... just the one spinner in Moen Alley, Trevor Bayless reckons that he performs better when he's not the primary spinner. They need to really get that balance. I mean, he seems to be saying that word a lot <laughs> about the player and the team, but they probably just haven't figured out their best 11.
3: Well, Moen Ali is an interesting one, and you can get caught when you pick a player to sort of try and do a job in inverted commas. Like Unless you're playing international cricket as a genuine batsman or a genuine bowler and bring another skill along... Then uh, it's really hard to stay on the side and not be exposed. I mean, Stokes is a clear quality all-rounder. He he can bat well. He can bowl well. Uh, adds a lot. Mo Ali. First time I saw him, I thought he was a bit of a, a bit part cricketer. Now, if you look at his record, he's got a, a particularly special record, but. Uh, if you're a batsman, you're batting above number seven. So if you're batting at seven, you've got to have another skill. If your skill is not good enough to be the front-line spinner, well, then you have got a problem because there are times when you only want to play one spinner and then it's, it's one of these sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul compromises that you see with all-rounders who can do a job but at times really can't stand up when it matters. So England have got to make some pretty tough decisions because uh, they're either going to be uh, too bowler-heavy and batting bat a light or they're going to be short uh, in the spin department.
1: The other major concern from England out of the second test was their use of the DRS. Joe Root's a new captain. they got plenty of them wrong. Some of them were real shockers. Now, should we give Root and England a bit of slack considering there's a, a leadership change there or you know, these experienced cricketers, should they
3: know how to use it by now? Well, these guys have played a lot of test cricket. You don't become captain of your team unless you've played a fair bit of cricket, um, with the very rare exception through the history of test cricket. So I would have thought that... Uh, if uh, you're out there in charge and you're relying on a wicketkeeper um, who's in line, then you should be making some pretty reasonable calls mm. I, unless uh, Root took absolutely no notice what was going on as a player and then suddenly has had to take notice as a captain. But I also think you'd have certain team parameters about how you're going to fo- uh, uh, follow the DRS uh, to make it work for you. I mean, the Australians had a, a few problems at various stages, I think most teams did, but I just don't think there's any stage in the modern era where it's such an important part of the game that you haven't got a clear plan as to what you're going to do, knowing full well that uh, the, there's, um, the umpire gets the benefit of the doubt in terms of the decision, so you have to be pretty confident with what you're doing to, uh, to be able to get a DRS decision in your favour.
1: For the visitors... What a rebound, Mal. They were absolutely thumped at Lords. They've come back here and smashed England by 340 runs. Two big changes to that team. One, Faf has come in. Rabada is out. They barely miss Rabada, who's one of the best bowlers in the world. But Faf, he just makes them a well-drilled unit. He's such a general out there. They look like a completely different side.
3: Oh, totally. I think he's the major difference in this whole match. I think he's a guy who's uh, a strong, experienced cricketer. He's one of those guys who isn't a particularly talented player, but he's... He's been able to work his game out not only for himself but for his team and uh, and he does give strong, sound, clear leadership and uh, it doesn't panic, uh, doesn't do anything flash but just make sure that, that that the team gets put in positions where they can uh, win from and I think that he's made an enormous difference coming back into that team and uh, I think that, that actually highlighted the difference between the two teams in terms of the steady hand of... Of uh, Faf and the, and the and the flashy hand of Joe Root, like he made a fantastic 78, he batted at 100 miles an hour but, yeah. um, but he didn't go on and make the big score and it looks like as we discussed with England's batting that, that Root really has to make big scores for them to make an impact and uh, I think he needs to have a bit of a look at uh, the way his opposition captain ran the game.
1: And it was a real team effort by the Proteas. There were no centuries. Emma made twin half centuries. There was no bowler took a bag. The South African teams of the past have just been littered with superstars and there's no AB de Villiers, no Dale Steyn. There's no Rabada in this test match. I guess when they, a team puts in a performance like that, it just shows they're going in the right direction.
3: And I think that's sort of a FAF's team. They're a bunch of workers. They all sort of put their shoulder to the wheel and they do what they have to do and they go hard. I think that, that it started from the toss when South Africa won the toss and batted in conditions which uh, Joe Root, the, the home captain, said they would have bowled in. I thought mm. that showed a fair bit of courage to, to do that, to sort of take the game on up front, as the South Africans like to say, <laughs> and, uh, and really um, try and uh, sort of um, take control from the start. And they did. And, and uh, it was a tremendous performance by them.
1: Vernon Philander, he was named man of the match. He claimed five wickets in the match. He, um, he was back to his bustling best. He's an unbelievable bowler in helpful conditions. He also has two 50s and a 42 in this series to date. Mal, like I said, he, he, in helpful conditions, Vernon Philander, it doesn't look like he does a lot, but he just does enough and gets the ball in the right areas more often than not.
3: He's got an impeccable length, so if you keep standing the seam up and hitting the seam, then chances are, particularly in a place like England, then the ball's going to do something. It only has to do something every so often. It only has to go a couple of centimetres over the course of about four metres, and you've got an edge. So uh, he's proved once again that you don't have to do anything flash, you just have to keep doing the same thing. Keep asking the question, and uh, you're going to get the right answer. He's been a real bonus for South Africa because they've been able to bat him at seven, play the extra bowler. and uh, and also sort of take wickets as well as make runs and help sort of prop up that sort of middle to lower order.
1: And they made a, a batting change as well. They put De Kock at number four. He's in between Amla and Faf Duplessis. C. What do you make of that move, Mal? He's always been compared to, or well, recently been compared to Adam Gilchrist. That's a very tough comparison. Mm-hmm. But at number four, Gilchrist didn't bat in the top order all that often. What did you make of that move?
3: Well, I can understand why they'd want to do it. I mean, he's a wonderfully talented cricketer and he can really take the game on and he can put you in a position where that if he can spend two hours at the crease that the game is certainly running heavily in your favour. But I just think it's a massive ask for a wicked to bat at four. I mean, if you're two for 20 um, after a handful of overs and he's been out in the field for more than a day and has to come in and try to do the business uh, when he hasn't had the chance to put his feet up and the ball's still zipping around... Uh, I just think if you look at Gilchrist... Now, Gilchrist was in a star started side, but he usually batted at seven, so he had the freedom to really take the game on if that's what was required, or he could play a rear guard action with other batsmen who were left, and he played some of his best innings at number seven. Occasionally, he might have batted at six if they played an extra bowler on flat decks like they did in the West Indies in one series, but they didn't move him from seven because it just gave him the licence to play the way that the game dictated, and he could really take the game away if he wanted to, and I just fear that... It may overburden De cock They may not get the best out of him. Uh, and it, it could, in the long term, actually hurt South African cricket.
1: And they've got a selection headache on their hands now with Rabada coming back. Selection headaches are always good to have, but uh, who do you think comes in for him? Fats already said that Rabada will return. He's got to find out uh, a way to squeeze him into the 11.
3: Well... Yeah, I would have thought that uh, Dwayne Olivier, who sort of came in, would probably be the guy who would go out. I mean, he looks a handy sort of a bowler. He's sharp and he's got a high action, but I would have thought that he would have gone and, and Morris probably would have stayed. I mean, the, the South Africans are a bit like Australians in terms of producing fast bowlers. Yeah. They just keep bringing them in. I mean, if you watched some of the, the way that Morris bowled in this test match was outstanding. The ball, he knocked Joe Root over with oh. the sort of the, the outswinging York that went past the outside edge and knocked over his off stump was just you know, probably the ball of the match. Um, so... Um, They all stood up as quality cricketers, and uh, I think you get Rabada back. um, Goodness knows what's going to happen in the next couple of test matches if they play well.
1: And they've got a bonus with Maharaj, the left-arm spinner. He's taken 10 wickets for the series now. Uh, South Africa have always had, like you said, great pace bowls, but they've always been a little bit let down in the spin department. But with Maharaj, he's had a tremendous start to his test career.
3: He has, and we saw when he played out here against the Australians that they actually... uh, had trouble getting after him at times that he, he bowls a very smart bowler doesn't do a lot with it but a very smart bowler who bowls good lines and lengths bowls well to his field and i think people tend to take him for granted a bit and we saw that with some of the dismissals that he got they looked like pretty soft dismissals because batsmen took him for granted
1: all right the series goes to the oval one all what's going to happen next mal give us a bit of a prediction how do we see the rest of the series playing out
3: Oh, i will be interesting to see England's selections, but I think that they'll, they'll be quite unsettled after this, and uh, unless Joe Root stands up and does something special, like he did in the first test when he made 190, um, I think that they're going to have some really serious questions asked about them. I mean, it puts a lot on Cook at the top of the order to try and hold things together, unless sort of Cook and and... Uh, Root can combine and do something special, then uh, I'm not sure that the rest of the England batting lineup is all that flash. Uh, the oval, uh, if it's pretty flat, then they might get away with it, but I think that they would be concerned not only about this test series but also about the Ashes coming up, knowing that they're going to be playing on wickets that are faster and bouncier and any uh, technical flaws are going to be exposed in Australia. Oh,
1: all right, we'll leave it there with England. Uh, and the subcontinent, India, have named there. And then their new coach, Ravi Shastri, he won the role. Ozahir like, Khan will come on as bowling coach, and Rahul Dravid, he's going to be a batting mentor on a way to us. Kohli was counselled, of course, and now it's up to him and Shastri to get along, Mal.
3: Yeah, look, and I think that uh, Shastri's a pretty smart operator. I mean, he's been around for a long time, sort of as a cricketer, as a commentator, as a vice captain of, uh, of India. Um, I know him a little bit through his commentary role, and um, I think that he's the sort of guy who would read the situation pretty well. He He's uh, not going to be trying uh, trying to uh, enforce himself on the captain or anybody else. Would have thought. I thought he would have. I think he would sort of uh, have a feel for the way to approach things and and uh, not get in the captain's way. Let the captain do his job. So, I tend to think that um, Ravi will probably fit into that dressing room pretty well um he'll be pretty relaxed um and offer useful advice without uh i don't think there'll be anything too startling but uh once you, i think you get to that level you just need someone who's more of a man manager than a than a uh, a technical coach so um i think that uh, ravi's well versed in indian politics and i think <laughs> that uh, <laughs> he'll uh, he'll probably do as well as anyone in that role um uh, from uh, as a former indian player
1: and in Colombo, we've got a cracking test match. Uh, Sri Lanka, they're three for 170, heading into day five, chasing 388 to win against Zimbabwe. Now, it's been a wonderful tour for Zimbabwe. They won the one-day series 3-2, uh, and now they could win an historic test match. Uh, seems like Zimbabwe are slightly the up, or maybe that Sri Lanka are in a bit of a transitioning period at the moment now that Angelo Matthews has stepped down. And it's been a couple of years since the likes of Senghara and Jay Warden have stepped away, but they really just haven't made those strides yet, have they?
3: We shouldn't forget that it wasn't so long ago that Australia was in Sri Lanka and we completely humiliated. Uh, So uh, if you go back to uh, how Australia played in Sri Lanka um, not only a year or so ago, uh, I'd be saying that um, that's a very good effort by Zimbabwe having sort of watched the highlights and seen the spinners doing most of the damage. Um, uh, Harath got, and as you would expect, got uh, the lion's share of the wickets, but as often is the case, had to do a lot of bowling to get them. So... Very good effort by Zimbabwe. Um, yes, uh, Sri Lanka might be uh, a bit unsettled, obviously, with a change in captain and some some poor performances. But Sri Lanka at home can be pretty hard work. Uh, and uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't win this. I tend to think that another week or two and their spinners might run through them on the last day. But uh, good effort to take it to this point. And uh, I wonder if the Australians should watch the few highlights of how the Zimbabweans played the Sri Lankans at home.
1: <laughs> Very good. Uh, we're going to finish with one play it or leave it question, Mel. Game of Thrones is back. You're a Game of Thrones fan, Mal? Are you playing or leaving it?
3: Uh, I'm not uh, big on the Game of Thrones, mate, <laughs> I'm afraid.
1: Well, that's it for today's episode. We'll be back next week. But until then, stay logged on to cricket.com.au.